Please open with me in God's Word uh, now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Luke 5, 17 through 26. Originally, it was our intention that Pastor Collins would be preaching this evening and preaching to us out of the next passage in 1 Kings. However, when he did come down with uh, COVID this week, he had already done quite a bit of work on that next passage of 1 Kings. And so rather than uh, that work not be used in the sermon that, in the next sermon, uh, we, we decided that I would preach on something else this evening, and then he will return to that passage of 1 Kings next Sunday evening, Lord uh, willing. So uh, I thought that it would be good for us on this first uh, Lord's Day of 2023 to turn somewhere in the Gospels. Uh, one of the great things about the Gospel accounts is there we uh, see the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ during his life. We learn more of our Savior, and that's always a good thing. So I thought that, that would be a good place to turn. And so uh, we're going to come today to a particular incident early in the public ministry of Jesus, Luke chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 17. Let's hear God's word. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's look once again to the Lord uh, in prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this incident out of the life and ministry of Jesus. And we pray uh, for the grace and help of your Holy Spirit that we would have our eyes open to see the lessons which you would have for us uh, today that we might behold on this first day of 2023, more of our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Uh, amen. Well, the setting on this particular day is uh, rather extraordinary. Jesus had uh, was in his uh, first uh, few months of uh, public ministry. Uh, he had uh, 
been healing, uh, we are told, many people and going around preaching the kingdom of God. Uh, word had gotten out about uh, the Lord uh, Jesus early in uh, this Galilean ministry, and the crowds began to be attracted to him, following him wherever he would go. And wherever he would go, Jesus would heal many and teach them concerning the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus calls his first disciples, but Jesus also gathers the attention of some of the religious leaders within uh, Israel of this day. And so on this particular occasion, he had just healed a leper, so the crowds were interested in Jesus, bringing to Jesus many in order that he might heal them, but also gathering in at this place, we are told, were Pharisees and teachers of the law, the kind of religious elite within Israel, and they also had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and they were all gathered together to see and to hear the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is teaching, and he is healing by the power of the Lord, healing many of those who were sick. What a gathering it is. And so Jesus, this one day, is in this particular house. The crowds have pressed in. The Pharisees and the scribes are sitting there scrutinizing every move that he makes. And Jesus is proclaiming truth, and healing some who are brought to him. Well, our attention is, uh, well, from this uh, whole incident then, as we uh, have pictured the scene in our minds, uh, Jesus is going to teach us some things about himself and about what it means uh, for us uh, to be his followers. In particular, uh, we have three different lessons that we're going to learn out of this passage today. First of all, we're going to see an example of exceptional faith. Secondly, an expression of our greatest need. And then thirdly, an exhibition of divine authority. An example of exceptional faith, an expression of our greatest need, and thirdly, an ex exhibition of divine authority. Or to put it a little differently, we might say that we're going to see something about others, and then something about ourselves, and then something about the Lord Jesus. Well, first of all, uh, let's consider an example here of exceptional faith. Uh, beginning in verse 18, we are told, uh, kind of our attention is focused in on now a particular man who had been paralyzed. Uh, he can't move his muscles, uh, likely due to an injury of uh, the brain or of the spinal cord. And here this man has friends, friends who love him, and friends who want to take him to Jesus. If anyone can do something about this man's condition, these friends certainly believe that it must be this Jesus of Nazareth. So you can imagine them on this particular day. They have their friend, they bring him on a kind of a stretcher, and they approach the house. However, how quickly their hopes must have been dashed. They come to this house and it becomes very obvious quickly that there's no way that they are getting in. Okay, The house is crammed full of people. The crowds are, are 
pressing in. Uh, they, can't get, they, they can't get through the doorway. They, they can't make their way uh, to the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. They surely would have been deflated. It seemed that the one who was their one hope uh, was going to be impossible uh, to reach. Now, they could have given up at this point. The story could be over. They could have decided, well, it's of no use. We're going to turn around and go home. But these men were made up of different stuff than that. Uh, Their love for their friend, as well as their faith that Jesus could heal their friend, and their conviction that their friend must see Jesus or his case is doomed, compelled them then to find some way, any way, to bring their friend before uh, Jesus. So the idea strikes them, well, if we can't get through the door... Let's go through the roof. And so uh, houses in Palestine in that day had flat roofs, uh, and they usually had a stairway on the exterior of the house that you could get up uh, to the roof. And so these men began to take their friend. Remember, he would be on a stretcher. This is not an easy thing to do. And they begin to climb these stairs. And you can imagine the efforts that they're making trying to keep their friend flat on this stretcher to make their way up the staircase, not to drop him, for none of them to fall off or to get injured themselves, and they begin to make their way up the exterior stairway up to the roof of the house. Now, there are various reports about roofs in Palestine in the first century. Some say that they were made generally of sticks and boards overlaid with one another and then about a foot of clay on top of those. Uh, Others say, well, no, it was kind of this uh, tile that was found in Roman roofs, also had made its way to Palestine, and that does seem to be the word that's used here in verse uh, verse 19, that they speak there of the tiles uh, that are up there. And so it seems that they get up to uh, the roof, and they uh, begin... Uh, to remove tiles in some way, whether it's, again, a work of excavation, digging through that clay, or if it's a removal of tiles, they begin to kind of create a hole in the roof. Now, you can imagine, if you were down in that crowd listening to Jesus teach, okay, suddenly you hear a little bit of rustling up above you. You wonder what's going on, and maybe you take a a look, and you see the, the ceiling begin to Uh, move around a little bit, and a hole is uh, being uh, created up there. Perhaps a little bit of debris even is falling down on the crowd of the people listening, and uh, you hear further jostling, and then suddenly you see some faces of men, and then a stretcher of a man. Now, whether they did this, I'm assuming, with some kind of ropes that they had tied to the stretcher, but they begin to lower their friend down through the ceiling, into the room where Jesus is. This would have taken an extraordinary amount of strength and effort. You can imagine the look on their faces as they're trying to hold on to this rope and gently lower their friend down through the roof. And suddenly the eyes are turned uh, this uh, direction. People are wondering what is going on. And suddenly their paralyzed friend indeed had come in front of Jesus. They had succeeded in bringing their friend to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what happens once they do that? Verse 20 tells us, 
And it says there that when he, that is when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. An interesting phrase, when he saw their faith, whose faith? Well, surely it would be, on the one hand, the paralyzed man, that it was through himself looking in faith to Jesus Christ for healing that he receives the forgiveness of sins. But it's not just his faith, it's their faith. It's the faith of the friends as well. An interesting statement this is. When Jesus saw their faith, not only that paralyzed man, but the faith of the friends as well, he then bestows upon this man the forgiveness of his sins, salvation in Jesus Christ. Well, is there a lesson that we can learn from this? I think that there is. I think that these friends serve as a wonderful example to us of a faith-filled effort that believers can make to bring others to Jesus Christ. These friends serve as a wonderful example of a faith-filled effort of believers to bring others to Jesus Christ. They stopped at nothing. They overcame a variety of obstacles They, out of great love and eagerness and faith, brought their friend to Jesus. What does that mean for you and for me? How do they serve as an example for us? Well, I think it serves as an example for us, first of all, in the way that we might uh, speak to friends or co-workers or family members or perhaps even just an acquaintance that you meet about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know that when we tell others about Jesus, um, we often get a variety of responses. Um, Sometimes people are hostile uh, to the faith. Uh, Very often they're indifferent. They might be polite, but they really couldn't care less. Um... Very few times do we get an immediate gladness and acceptance and delight that we just told them about Jesus. But I think the efforts of these friends can teach us that it is an act of great love towards others when we, with faith, that these friends of ours need to see Jesus, they need to meet with Jesus, or else their case is doomed, that when we seek to overcome obstacles and overcome opposition in order to bring them uh, to Jesus Christ. And sometimes what that means is that we're willing to have conversations, not just once, but multiple times. Or that we're willing to invite others to church, not just once, but time and again and again. Or maybe to go that extra mile and to buy somebody a Bible and Uh, to have them read it, or to hand somebody gospel literature. In other words, to kind of say, I'm going to cut down the roof if I have to, (laughs) in order that this person would see Jesus. And do you know that God often uses faith-filled efforts like that to bring others to Jesus Christ? 
Well, let me just give another example. Another example would be uh, when you and I, out of faith in Jesus Christ, uh, often give self-sacrificially and generously to support missionary causes and the work of the church. Uh, that we believe with all of our heart that God is able to save people, and He does so through gospel preachers being sent out, through this church here, and through missionaries being sent out abroad. And so we give faithfully, sacrificially, even overcoming obstacles in order to give to gospel mission so that other people might be brought to see Jesus Christ. That's an example of a faith-filled kingdom effort to bring others to Jesus. But maybe it's not simply that we give for the advance of the gospel. Maybe it's sometimes that we go for the advance of the gospel. Maybe there will be some here today even who will one day be called into full-time missionary service. Maybe it's a young person here who will be called someday into gospel ministry and you desire to do it out of faith that those efforts might be used of God. That's what you pray. Lord, if you would, even use these efforts to bring others to Jesus Christ. Uh, do we have a desire to do those things? We heard a report this morning about ESL. Certainly that's one of our great desires with ESL is that people would be brought to Jesus Christ. And so we're uh, expending effort and energy, and resources, as it were, cutting a hole through the roof so that we might show others uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I think another example of this kind of faith-filled effort to bring others to Jesus is when we pray for people. And we pray for them not just once, but we pray for them over and over and over. And to pray that uh, that unbeliever would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we continue to pray, seeking, as it were, to bring before the Lord Jesus the case, the need of this particular individual. Lord, remember this person in your mercy. And we're willing to overcome obstacles, the obstacles of our own hard-heartedness and our own weariness in praying. But we continue to pray in order that that person might be brought before the Lord Jesus Christ. Persistence in prayer, I think, is following the example of these, of these men. Well, we have an example of faith-filled, of this kind of uh, faith-filled gospel endeavor, an example of exceptional faith. But now, secondly, I want us to see out of this story here, uh, having seen an example of exceptional faith, we're going to see an expression of our greatest need. Okay, these, these friends bring their paralytic down before Jesus. And we read there, verse 20 again, that when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I just want to ask, does that strike you as odd, perhaps? Up until now, nothing has been said about this man's sins. What we know is that he's a paralytic. His friends want him to be healed. Right? So that his paralysis can be healed. That's why they brought him before Jesus. But now they lower him before Jesus. Jesus doesn't mention his sickness at all. But rather he simply says, man, your sins 
are forgiven you. Uh, one writer uh, puts it this way. It says that Jesus, um, it seems, has missed the point. Uh, it's kind of like a waitress who would bring you a size 10 loafer or a mailman who would deliver you a pizza. I think that would be a pretty nice thing. But, the mail, but, but you get the idea that it just doesn't quite seem to fit. They bring him for healing, and Jesus says, your sins are uh, forgiven you. Why? Why this response? Well, some commentators think that what Jesus is doing is he's tracing uh, the root cause of this man's paralysis back to his sin. I suppose it's possible. Um, Sometimes uh, there might be particular illnesses that are uh, a result of sin in our lives, but in other places, Jesus uh, rejected the kind of teaching that this universally is the case. You'll remember in John chapter 9, the the man born blind, uh, the disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, well, it was neither this man nor his parents who sinned, but rather that the works of God should be revealed in him. So um, it's certainly not the case that always Illness is traced back to some particular sin in our lives. I don't think that that's what's going on here. But instead, I believe what Jesus is doing here is that he is showing this man his greatest need. Yes, his body. It would be wonderful if his body were healed. But what this man needs more than anything is for his sins to be forgiven. His soul is even more important than his body. Though his body is paralyzed, it's the paralyzing effects of his sin that are by far the most damaging to him. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says that the forgiveness of sins is the blessing that you are most to prize and seek. For if your sins be forgiven, though the sickness continues, it is in mercy. If your sins be not forgiven, even though the sickness be removed, it is in wrath. What an interesting phrase. And what an important reminder this is uh, to us, especially in the midst of a kind of health and fitness obsessed culture. In which, we, in which we live. Now, God has made us body and soul. Our bodies matter. We ought to be good stewards of our bodies. It does mean that we ought to seek to eat well and to exercise. And people who work as nutritionists or who work uh, uh, leading, uh, uh, leading fitness Uh, classes or those who work in hospitals as doctors and nurses healing uh, those who are sick. This is good and God-honoring work indeed. Our bodies do matter. It is right for us, even when we pray, to pray for people's healing. That is true. But we must always remember that the greatest good in life is not simply having a healthy body. We must not make an idolatry out of fitness. And that's what it seems among many that they do, that having 
as it were, a fit body, uh, taking care of your body is the key. It's the most important thing, uh, it, it seems uh, to many. Or when somebody gets sick or even uh, diseased or even dies, it's the worst thing that could ever happen to that individual. And friends, that's simply not the perspective of Scripture. The worst problem that we have is that we are sinners in the sight of God. That's most what we need uh, taken care of in our lives. We need to be forgiven of our sins. I think it's interesting in the Lord's Prayer where the Lord teaches us how to pray. There are six different petitions to the Lord's Prayer and there is one, one out of the six that concerns our temporal well-being. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It's right to pray that the Lord would provide for our daily needs, that He would heal us when we are sick. The Lord Jesus delighted to heal many who were sick. Those are good things to pray, but our prayers ought to go beyond that as well. We ought to be praying for the hallowing of God's name and for the extension of His kingdom. Okay? We ought to be praying indeed uh, for, uh, uh, that the Lord would uh, keep us from uh, uh, temptations. We ought to pray that men and women and boys and girls would submit to the law of God, we ought to pray that the Lord would indeed, as we pray as well, forgive us our debts. Do you pray often for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you see it as your greatest need above all? Oh Lord, that my sins would be forgiven. And you see, this ought to impact the way even that we pray for others. Lord, heal those who are sick. Yes, please. But above all, save their souls and forgive their sins. That ought to be the focus That's what Jesus brings out, I think, by this little phrase, man, your sin are forgiven you. Okay, so there we have seen so far an example of exceptional faith. We've seen an expression of our greatest need. But now third and finally, I want us to consider an exhibition of divine authority. And here we're going to learn something about Jesus himself. An exhibition of divine authority. Verse 20 Uh, He says, after Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Immediately the scribes and the Pharisees who were present latch on to this phrase and they begin to question. Now it appears that they're doing this in their minds right now because verse 22 says that when Jesus perceived their thoughts, but here they begin to ask in their minds, well, who is this? Who does Jesus think that he is? This is blasphemy. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Now, they were right in this line of thinking. You know, if somebody sins against you, you can forgive them if they've sinned against you. But you can't forgive them for all of their other sins that they've ever committed. Who does that? God does. That's why, like in David's Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51, he says... Uh, Lord, it is against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil that is in your sight. He had sinned against Uriah. He had sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, but David had chiefly sinned against the living God. And it was from God that he was seeking cleansing and forgiveness. And in fact, we could point to any number of Old Testament passages which speak of forgiveness of sins as a divine prerogative. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far will I remove your transgressions from you. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. The Lord forgives sins. And so, these Pharisees and scribes are saying, who does Jesus think that he is? This is blasphemous. This man is making himself equal with God. Well, Jesus perceives their thoughts, we're told. And he realizes, and he then answers them audibly here, and he says, Why do you question in your hearts? Then he asks this, Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? Which do you think is easier? What's Jesus' point here? Well, if by his words he's actually accomplishing the thing which he is speaking, it is actually easier to heal a person of his paralysis than it is to forgive his sins. Right? We think even in the Old Testament that God used at different times a variety of Old Testament prophets to perform miracles of healing. It's an extraordinary thing. It's done by divine power. But that in itself is not a divine prerogative. But to forgive sins, who can do that but God alone? So which is easier? Well, again, it would be actually easier to say, rise up and walk. But these Pharisees and scribes in their own hearts of unbelief saying, well, what right does Jesus have to say your sins are forgiven? He says, as a sign that what I do, I do by divine authority because I have every right to do it, let me perform the lesser miracle as well. And he speaks those words, and he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then turns to the man that is paralyzed, and he says, I say to you, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Verse 25, and immediately, right away, he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. You see, by speaking this word of healing and by the man's immediate healing, it proved that Jesus was not only able to heal this man's body, but he was able to forgive this man's sin. And think of the joy of this man who moments before was being layered, lowered on a stretcher through the roof of this Palestinian home. That now this man is able to, with body that has been made whole, lift up his mat and walk away. But even more importantly, he is able to walk away knowing that his sins have been covered by the one who is in himself the living Son of God. What joy is his. And so he glorifies God. This man who is now a forgiven man, an heir of everlasting life, glorifies God. And the crowds, and remember there was a crowd that was witnessing all of this. What a packed house it was. 
And suddenly we're told, verse 26, amazement seizes them all and they begin to glorify God and they're filled with awe saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Their eyes had witnessed things of extraordinary magnitude concerning the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. And it's that point that I want to press upon us today. Do you know that just because this miracle was accomplished some 2,000 years ago in a land that is far away from western Massachusetts in the year 2023, it doesn't make what happened that day in that Palestinian home any less significant. There, Jesus Christ said that he has the prerogative to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all that separates us from God. And to prove it, he healed this man and immediately he was healed. What are you going to do about this? Who is this Jesus? Do you remember the words of C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity? As he confronted people with that question, well, who is uh, Jesus Christ? Lewis says that I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, which is that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis says that is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. And you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or he is something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. I think those are masterful words, dear friends, because what we have on this day early in the life of the ministry of Jesus, is we have this revelation of who he is. And the question simply is, who do you believe that he is? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he indeed the Lord of all? Who forgave this man's sin, and as proof that he was able to forgive this man's sin, healed him immediately. In the sight of all, healed him. And he was made well. Dear friends, it is this Jesus who is able not only to answer to our needs of body, but to our greatest needs of our soul. Have you asked Him for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you come to Him in desperate need for only that which He can provide, which is an atoning sacrifice to take away your sins and restore you to a right relationship with God? Do you honor and adore Him as the eternal Son of of God? That's the question. What are you going to do about Jesus Christ? Who is this one, really? Well, he has proven himself to be just this, the Son of God who can take away the sins of the world. Might we look to him 
in this new year, resting upon him, trusting in him, relying upon him, living for the one who is the everlasting son of God. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, we thank you for uh, the lessons that we can learn from this particular event in the life of Jesus. We pray, O Lord, for grace to follow the example of these friends that stopped at nothing to see others brought to Jesus Christ. Lord, give us some of their faith, we pray. Faith that persists despite difficulty and objection. Faith which has a singular eye to Jesus Christ and what he is able to do. Lord, we pray as well, O God in heaven, that we would be those who see our great need as the forgiveness of our sins, and that we would see Jesus Christ as the very one who he revealed himself to be, the one who can take away sin, who can heal our body, but more importantly, can heal our soul and grant to us everlasting life. Lord, grant that we would have eyes to see Jesus this day, the beginning of this new year, to see Jesus in all of his glory and all of his splendor. We do pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen.